Please mark your books at 336. Didn't realize it's already on, sorry. 336. <clears throat> That's my icebreaker for this evening. Everybody's awake now. 336 will be the invitation song. We appreciate your presence this evening. I hope that uh, I will have something that will be beneficial to you. I especially want to say thank you to those who saw that I was on the list for this evening and came back anyway. I appreciate that. Um, hopefully, the lesson I have this evening, the thoughts that I have this for, for this evening, tie in really well with Brother Lyle's lesson this morning. As far as what do we want, and hopefully toward the end of this, you'll be able to take charge and figure out what your mission as a disciple of Christ may be. You know, as we continue our study of the books of the Acts, I guess I've got to get my PowerPoint going here. I put the Acts of the Apostles because as we study the book of Acts and now we're reaching the midway point, I believe there's 28 chapters, we're actually on uh, 14 now, so not quite the seven, seventh inning stretch here, but nonetheless, kind of to recap a little bit about where we've been that leads into where we are now. But when you think about the Acts of the Apostles, I can tell you growing up in the church, sitting in the pews, I'd kind of lean back and sit back a lot of times and hear the book of Acts. And we're real good sometimes as preachers and teachers to get up here and say, Corinthians chapter 1 and so forth and so on, the church at Corinth did this. Or Thessalonica, the church in Thessalonians is the church at Thessalonica. And in my mind, the book of Acts was just one of those other churches or another place. These are truly the acts, the things that the apostles did, that the apostles went through. And obviously we have a lot of examples uh, that stem from the acts of the apostles as they gave it to us, and hopefully tonight we'll be able to continue that study and understand a little bit more how the acts of us as disciples needs to go as we go forward. The other thing I like about the book of Acts is the application for all of us, whether we're uh, not, not buried with Christ in baptism, uh, that we haven't been added to the kingdom, so if you're visiting here this evening, the fact that the that the gospel has been open to all Jews and Gentiles, Greek, everyone is the same in the eyes of God once they've been added to the kingdom. The fact that for those who may be new converts, the admonition we get to go and to preach and to teach and to do those things as the apostles did in a little bit different way because we don't have the spiritual gifts. Or those who've been a Christian for a long time and served God and just need to be rejuvenated. And I think that word uh, has been used a couple of times today to say, okay, we need to step up and do more than we're doing. And I can tell you in my study of Acts chapter 14, that's exactly what I got out of it. I need to step up and do more. I appreciate Brother Lyle and his thoughts this morning. Uh, and he started out in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And I think... As he said, this is a great memory verse, so kids, if you don't have this memorized, memorize it. And, and some of you have been to some of the youth meetings that I've been involved with, you do memorize this verse here. There's a lot of verses in the Bible that mean a whole lot. This one holds a lot of weight 
with me as far as when I go back and say, the scriptures that we have, old law and new law, how does this apply to me? And as Brother Lyle talked about this morning, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You know, I think it's important for us as we talk about a lot in our services too, that we are talking about the first century Christians. We make reference to that uh, sometimes in jest when we say, well, this isn't the way the first century Christians did it, or sometimes when we're talking about doctrine, this is how the first century Christians did it. And we have a lot of examples that we've already gone through in the book of Acts that talk about that piece of it. But it's important for us to understand, too, the instruction in righteousness. So this instruction that we get, not only from the scriptures that we're reading tonight, Old Testament and New Testament alike, I think it's important for us to understand that instruction that it's giving us. And that takes action, which is, when you look at the root word of the book of Acts, The root word of action is acts. We must act upon what we hear. And a lot of times it's easy for us to come and listen to lessons, and we've got a lot of great teachers here, and I do appreciate that about this congregation. And we say, well, we've been fed enough for the week, or that'll get us through to Wednesday, and don't turn to the word of God and look for those instructions in righteousness that we need outside of the assembly. The elders can feed the flock, Sometimes outside the assembly, they arrange it so that we're fed very well inside the assemblies. But it's important for us to act on what we've been given. So central to all of our thoughts is to make sure that we understand that the scriptures, all scripture, every verse that's been inspired by the Holy Spirit is given to us to be able to have instructions for how we can stay righteous. As we begin, I really want to, I have a luxury that Titus didn't have, and my chapter's not quite as long as the rest, but want to kind of give a little bit of a recap. Uh, First of all, as we lead up to Acts chapter 14, uh, we understand that uh, the churches have been established throughout Asia at this time. And uh, I believe Brother Titus actually read this scripture here too, Acts 11 and verse 19. He says, Now those which are scattered abroad... Upon the persecution that rose about, Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none of the, not only to none, but only unto the Jews. Font's a little bit too small. Apologize for that. Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Let's start back at the beginning. I apologize for that. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecutions that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to not none but only the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which were uh, they were to come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. The tidings of these things came into the ears of the church that was at Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he had come, had seen the grace of God and was glad and exhorted them all that, that with purpose of heart they would cleave 
unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And the transition from Saul to Paul, but talking about this and leading up to where we're at with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, is this is where he's going, but also it gives us the example of all the congregations that we've already read about uh, that have already been established. And we need to understand one thing, because two, sitting in a pew from time to time, and even as, a, as an adult, you think about these verses and these chapters. We read them real time. We can read through them pretty quickly, but you have to understand that from Acts chapter 1 to the chapter that we're in tonight, approximately 15 years has passed. You look around the audience, and you may know, know the ages of most of the teenagers, but there were some, some kids probably that are younger than 15 here tonight that weren't even born when these churches were first being established. We read through this like, wow, you know, all these, all these uh, congregations were established, and boom, 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 they're here. And then as we're going to read tonight, they're establishing elders and all that. This was not an overnight thing. This was a 15-year process that took place. And um, we need to kind of look at it and take the viewpoint from time to time. I think of the fact that there is time that takes place in between here. And then another part of this I think that we dwell on a lot and we talk about a lot is the persecution and the resistance from the Jews, the resistance from the Roman Empire at the time. All those resistors that were in there, there were also a lot of people that were being saved. We have record of some of the numbers, but we also understand that as they went through and preached that there were, there were disciples that were being saved, and we have some examples of that that we'll read as we get into the study this evening. <clears throat> Things to remember about the Acts and where we lead up to where we're at tonight, I believe, is... First of all, understanding the death, burial, and resurrection has happened. We actually see the record of the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit has been given to the apostles. It's important for us to remember that. Uh, P Peter has preached the first gospel sermon, uh, which we've already read. Stephen is stoned, and the clothes are laid at the feet of Saul. Saul is converted on the road to Damascus. The gospel is open to the Gentiles. At Antioch, members were first called Christians. Uh, the churches were being established throughout the region, and of course, as has already been said, the gospel has been given to the Gentiles. So you and I sitting here today, uh, not being a member of one of the 12 tribes of Israel, would not have had an opportunity had this not been open to the Gentiles. And uh, making the church at this point all-inclusive and understanding standing again the time frames that we're talking about, about um, through this time time period and understanding how much time has passed before we get into the actual chapter 14 tonight. So a lot of things has happened, and during this time, people are being converted, being added to the church, and it tells us they've been added to the church daily. As we catch up getting closer to Acts chapter 14, understand, too, that the calling that was given to them for the mission that they had, speaking specifically about Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas, we saw in chapter 11, was going to be, uh, go to look for Saul, who 
Paul, in Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I've called them. Understand that they have a mission that they are being sent on by the Holy Ghost. Now, it's different in today's age, and I want those who may not understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit that was laid on the apostles is different. We don't have apostles today. The apostles are, and understanding the difference between the apostles and the disciples that we are, that have been added to the church, it's important for us to understand the Holy Ghost isn't going to come to us in a miraculous way and separate us for the work. The scriptures have been given to us, as we read in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, to show us that way, to read that, to get that knowledge, and to understand that knowledge as we study those scriptures for that instruction in our doctrine that we should have. But in this case, Paul and Barnabas are called to work that they, are, that they have been given and are sent on a mission. And uh, I stole shamelessly this from Titus last week to keep consistency, uh, hopefully in the uh, first missionary journey, as it's called, of uh, Paul and Barnabas. Uh, but I appreciate uh, Titus letting me use this slide. And we saw last week, as far as the journey uh, that, that they took and where all they went. So you can see the amount of ground that they covered, the different congregations and areas they went to preaching the word. And understand during this culture and during this time, too, people would gather together if they heard of things like this. And I don't know what kind of advertisement they had. But where did uh, Paul and Barnabas go, as we see many times? They went to the synagogues. They went to the, their place of gathering and their place of worship where, where people would get together and that they would talk and study and and give each other chances to kind of say what they were going to say. So I think it's important for us to understand that as we lead into this, the first part of this mission actually that hap happened in chapter 13 is going to finish up tonight in chapter 14. And we see at the end in verse 50 that they went from Antioch to Iconium. And that's in Acts chapter 13 and verse 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and of the chief men of the city and raised persecutions against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And that leads us in to Acts chapter 14. Now we think about the persecution, we think about the mission that they had, we think about the resistance that they had, and you know, I can't go back and walk in the apostle's shoes, and sometimes we talk about walking in somebody else's shoes and having a viewpoint basically is what we're looking at. And I try to put myself, especially when I'm talking about uh, Paul and, uh, and Barnabas, it seems like we talk about Paul a lot and leave Barnabas out of that, but, but Paul specifically, the things that he went through and still persevered, the things that he went through and still did exactly what God's will for him was considering where he came from. And I think it's important for us to understand this as we get into Acts chapter 14 and the second half of their missionary journey. Verses 1 through 3, Paul and Barnabas again went to the synagogues and it came to pass in Iconium, that they went both together into the synagogues of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. So again, there's some believers that are thrown in there too. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders 
to be done by their hands. You know, it's a divided people. You have the Jews that, for several reasons, one, that calls them unbelieving Jews that didn't believe that Christ was the Messiah, that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection ushered in the New Testament that we have today, and you still have some of that today. But I kind of equivalent this sometimes when you're talking about the Jewish nation and maybe even the Romans and some of the other cultures of that time in the fact that if somebody came up to us today as Christians and said that there was another book that was supplemental to this that was important for us to have and there's another Messiah and there's another way, we too would be up in arms saying, no, we have Christ. We understand there's no prophecy of another book. There's no prophecy of anything but what we have right now. And I'm not trying to make fun of any certain religion, but gold tablets found in a, you know, in a forest that we don't have proof of today is kind of what I'm talking about. And you'll see even in this day that people believe some of that. So again, trying to put yourself a little bit in the Jews, the unbelieving Jews that didn't understand that Christ died already, or in some cases they wanted to keep their status and their power uh, that they had over the Christians, perhaps over the culture at the time, but you had a mixture between the Jews, the Roman Empire, and all this in this whole area that Paul and Bar- Barnabas are traveling in. You know, the naysayers can be strong, but I think it's interesting that it says, Long time, therefore, they abode speaking boldly in the Lord. They stayed there for as long as they felt like they needed to in order to get the word across to those believing in Christ, those that were accepting Christ, so that they wouldn't be pulled away from those, uh, well, the Jews as well as some of those Gentiles that they were trying to pull away and sway, say, no, Christ is not the way. I think it's important for us to note, too, that sometimes when we get a little bit impatient with somebody that we're studying with, or we get impatient with things aren't moving the way we want them to, maybe it's church growth, maybe it's our own spiritual growth, we get stagnant. I think it's important from time to time that we understand that each other, we need to kind of prod and say, okay, we need to pick up the pace, or we need to get back into the book, or whatever the case may be. Um, We need to understand sometimes... Somebody might need to spend a little bit more time with somebody, including me, to help keep us on the straight and narrow. And that's where I think we do a great job, uh, all in all, uh, that I hear even from the pulpit a lot about people who text and call and the visits and and, and all that, especially when somebody's lost a loved one or is in a real time of stress or need. A lot of that that's going on, and that's part of those good works that, that we can do as individuals. As we continue on, but the multitude of the city was divided in verse 4, and the part that held with the Jews and part with the apostles. So the divided on who's the truth and who's not the truth here. And when there, and when there was an assault made both on the Gentiles and also the Jews or the rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, the cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. So the heat was turned up in the kitchen, so to speak, and they heard word that there were some that were going to try to stone them, and uh, being understandably a little bit afraid, because you're not going to be able to continue your mission if you're stoned to death. So they took the words that were hitting, uh, given to them and actually took the short trip from Iconium to Lystra. 
Now, it's about an 18-mile trip, and that's going to be important to some of the verses that we go to here shortly, because it's not that far from Iconium to Lystra. And uh, they went here because they were afraid that they were going to get stoned. Now, if it were me, again, trying to walk in the shoes of the apostles and what they were doing, okay, they were run out of one town. They went 18 miles uh, to another town. And I think, you know, in my mind, I would have had a discussion with, if, uh, with Paul and Barnabas if I was in their company and said, I think we need to just lie low. I think we need to just take it easy. We've stirred up, we stirred up a hornet's nest. Let's just kind of lay low and, and, and go back and, and be careful with what we're doing because we don't want to cause too much trouble here. Wrong. Not what Paul and Barnabas did. What does it say they did? Acts chapter 14 and verse 7. They preached the gospel. Now, they may have taken a break in there. I don't know how long it would take to travel that 18 miles, but they got out of town and right when they got uh, to Lystra, they began to preach. They preached the gospel to another crowd, maybe uh, the crowd that had heard it before to help them, but also to add more disciples to the church and so forth and so on. You know, on your mission that you have, in your quest that you have to reach others and to preach the gospel, do you have that kind of tenacity? Do we really dig in and say, well, you know, it's tough times right now. I don't think anybody's ever threatened to stone me or kill me or anything else for, for saying my opinion about Christ or God. And yet still, sometimes I'm afraid to continue my mission and say, okay, I need to reach these people in another way. It makes me wonder if we listen to the scripture from time to time to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11. Blessed are ye, Jesus speaking, when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manners of evil things against you falsely for my sake. I don't know about you, but I don't deal with that much persecution. And I, I guess if you might call it persecution, the persecution would be, well, I don't really want to listen to it. And as all you want to talk about is, is good, 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 and, and love, 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 and, and, and things like that as we go through our lives. And, you know, if that's truly persecution, which I don't really think it is, what's keeping us from sending that message, that gospel, and preaching that gospel? Because it's nothing compared to what Paul and Barnabas uh, went through as they were on their missions. And again, I want you to understand too, in the preaching they have, they preached the gospel. There's a lot of people that believed in this too, so they're understanding and they're actually seeing the baptisms and the adding to the church. They're seeing this happen too, so there's some encouragement that happens that we don't necessarily have the record of in the Holy uh, in the Holy Scriptures as it's given to us, but it does tell us that where people were added and it talks about disciples. So as we continue back in verse 8, it says, And there sat a man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his, mother womb, his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. So a miracle performed by Paul here, and it's, you know, it seems like, okay, we just stuck this in here, this miracle, as far as what we see, as far as what has been recorded for us to see, but I think it's important to understand the apostles had the gifts to do that, and you think about the impact that that would have on the crowd that they had at the time, and we'll see a little bit of that, but understanding this individual that never walked in his life from his mother's womb from the time he was born, never walked, 
And I think it's interesting to note that uh, sometimes those action words that we see, it didn't say he just got up and walked. It said he leaped. He leaped and walked. Now, you talk about turning some heads of the crowd that were there at the time. And again, and I don't know if this is the case or not, but those synagogues sometimes had, uh, just like we do sometimes on street corners, those that were homeless, those that were helpless and needed help, that was a place that people came that could give them alms or give them, uh, give them of some money so that they could actually make a living. I don't know if that's why this person was here. But Paul, as it says, perceiving that this man had the faith to be healed, allowed him to leap and walk. So those eyes that were turned and those heads that were turned, we need to understand a little bit about the Roman Empire and the idolatry that they, uh, that they enlisted and how many gods that they had as we continue on. Because they thought Paul and Barnabas were gods because of this. Acts chapter 14 and verse 11. When the people saw this individual leap up and walk that had been impotent from birth, it says, they lifted up their voice saying in the speech of the Lyconia, the gods come down to us from the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and called Paul Mercurius, Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of the Jupiter, which was before the city, brought oxen and garlands into the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. So due to their culture... They were like, okay, this miracle has just happened. We don't understand how it's happened, but we've been raised, you know, with gods and all this. And what we have to do when a miracle like this happens is we need to make sacrifices to these gods. They actually gave them the names Jupiter and Mercurius. And it's interesting to note sometimes, too, I think that even cultural differences that we may have, whether it's regionally, because uh, I can tell you in my travels, I feel like the culture that we have here in the panhandle of Texas is much different if you go to New York, California, and I'm picking on a couple of places there, I think, that are probably us that we can kind of see the cultural difference or understand what I'm talking about. But it doesn't matter. When you're talking to the Gentile people, when you're talking to an individual that has a soul, all that culture needs to go away. But Nonetheless, what happened, happened when they saw this miracle, they are automatically reverted back to the fact that, okay, I've been raised in idolatry and gods, and I'm used to this, so we need to make some sacrifice. And it took pretty much all that the apostles could do to try to keep this from happening. Continuing in verse 14, which when the, apostle, when the apostles Barnabas and Saul heard of, they rent their clothes, ran in among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all the things therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not, he left not himself without witnesses in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So in the same breath, they're saying, okay, first of all, the renting of the clothes, I still have never quite figured out, even as adult, as far as why that's significant. But it is. It happens multiple times in the Bible. But obviously, when they rent their clothes, it turned the heads again of the audience that said, okay, whoa, something just happened here. They spoke up and they said, this is not what you should be doing. We're not gods. We're just men. We're men just like you, and you don't need to be making sacrifice to us. You need to be serving the true and living God. Leave the vanities that you have. 
obey the gospel and understand what God has given to you and list off a few things that they can look at and say, okay, this is what God has done, capital G-O-D, not Jupiter or Mercurius, those things that you have seen. So understanding with that culture, that didn't mean that right that minute everybody's going to change and say, oh yeah, the light bulb went off and I'm no longer worried about that, but it planted the seed in those disciples or potential disciples of Gentiles at the time that said, okay, who is this God? Asking the questions. And it's important too, I think, in other missionary journeys that we're going to see that they went back to these places and probably encountered some of the same people that they could continue to plant that seed or study with or work with. What does it say in the last verse there? <clears throat> and after they heard these sayings, scarce, they scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice to them. So even after they said all of that, the people still wanted to make sacrifice to them. So as we encounter cultural differences, which are not going to be quite as major of this, but in some cases there may be some that are that, some that say, I'm atheist, I don't believe in God. How do you convince somebody like that? First of all, don't give up. I think an example for us is from them that they spoke what God has given to us and at least planted a seed for further study or down the road that they might be able to believe. We need to understand, too, that they weren't trying to take credit. They were giving God the glory. They could have easily, and we talk a lot about pride and humility we have lately. It would have been real easy to say, man, look what I've done. I've healed this man, and now they're going to make sacrifices, and they're lifting up Paul and Barnabas. It might be easy to go with that, and we kind of got to be careful with that. Give God the glory. It's God that gives the increase, as we can read in the scriptures. Now we can see that Paul runs into a little bit of trouble, and I say a little bit lightly as we move on here. It says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. Now remember, Iconium's about 18 miles from Lystra, where they came from. Antioch's about another 75 miles from those areas. But remember, that's where Paul and Barnabas started their mission and where they came from. So there were Jews that basically heard them preaching in the synagogues that were still stirred up and mad from what had happened back, back in Antioch. And they came down to Iconium and persuaded the people. And they actually took Paul out and stoned him. And they drew him out of the city, supposing him that he had been dead. So they stoned Paul and left him for dead. And obviously didn't get word that this was going to happen. And uh, Paul uh, was caught up in this. But what does it say there as it continues on? Uh, supposing him for dead, first of all, how be it? As the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city. Now, we don't read a whole lot in some of these cities about the disciples that were already there that were part of those congregations and part of those city congregations that were there, but we do know here that the disciples, those that were already added to the kingdom, were here trying to stand, they were around about Paul, and I don't know if they were trying to minister to him or not, but I think it's important for us to take from this that we as disciples need to do what we can do to help those that are hurting. And it may not be a physical hurt. It may be something else that's, that's financial, the benevolence that we do one for another, the, just the, the, the pick-me-ups from time to time. You know, life is hard. 
life is, can be very difficult for us. There's so many things that we can do. Obviously, in this case, they didn't at least just scatter and say, I hope these people don't come back and stone me too. They were right there. They were right there with Paul. And he got up. And, uh, and it said he came into the city. And I think it's interesting here too that, uh, again, I think I've just been stoned, left for dead. I think I'm going to take a little break and do some healing and all. But the scriptures say the next day, next day, he departed. So he's left for dead. He rises up, and the next day, he departs with Barnabas to Derby. I think inspiration for us when we feel like we're having a rough day uh, to not worry about it so much. So from Lystra, they ended up uh, going back to Derby, And understand uh, that at this point that... I don't know, Paul's tenacity, again, I keep using that word tenacity, but the fact that he was not deterred by what was being thrown at him, by the threats of being stoned, actually being stoned, those that were naysayers, all these people that were just doing these things, you know, I think it'd be real easy for me to get discouraged and say, you know, I, I've had enough, I need, I need a break, I need to do something else. But what did they do? Back to the work of the mission, Acts chapter 14 and verse 22 excuse me, verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city, so they're at a new city, and they preached that to that city when they had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulations, enter into the kingdom of God. Okay, so all the, all the other things I've said aside, the physical pain that they went through, all the torture that they went through mentally, physically, whatever you want to say with going through these cities, but not only did they preach in the city they were, that they were in, they also went back to the city where it was already hostile. So in their mission, they went back to these cities, and this is where Acts chapter 23 went back to these cities, and what did they do? An example for us, again, uh, so many examples from the books of Acts as far as the first century church and why we worship the way that we do today as the first century Christians did. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting and commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. They went back to the congregations that were established, back to the disciples, and I do want to go back and remember the confirming the souls of the disciples. So they went back from place to place, confirming the souls to say, okay, these that we converted, are they still on the straight and narrow? Are they still doing what they need to do? And I think that's important for our mission, too, from time to time. Uh, you know, my, my kids found out I was speaking tonight, and two of them were here this morning. They had to go home, but um, not because I was speaking, but to get home. But they're in different congregations. And, uh, you know, from time to time, we'll have talks and stuff about encouraging one another to help keep them on the straight and narrow. And I'm sure we do that as families, but the family of God needs to be that way too, where we as individuals in this congregation continue to lift each other up and encourage us to stay and walk in that faith that we have. And then the example that we have, and it doesn't say just one elder, multiple elders that we have the example of that they went back and ordained. Again, a 15-year period that we're talking about from, well, actually about 14 and a half from Acts chapter 2 and the first gospel sermon to establishing some elders and ordaining elders in every church. And I think it's important for us to understand that piece of it. And verse 24 says, After that, they had passed through Pisidia, and they came to Pamphylia, 
And when they had preached the word at Perga, they went down to Italia and thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had recommended had been recommended to the grace of God for the work that they fulfilled. So as they wrap up this journey, still a lot of travel that has happened here. And we'll go back to the map here, and it gets a little bit crazier because remember they went back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch after that. Then they sailed down to Perga, if I can get this to work. They sailed, uh, sailed to... I knew I was going to mess that up. They sailed down to Perga. Shouldn't have tried the laser. Uh, sailed to Perga. Thank you for that. <laughs> back there, I want to use a laser again. I'll put that down. Uh, sailed back and then went back to Antioch, as you can see back here, which is where they started that mission. And I really think it's important for us to think about this. And, and this missionary journey, uh, depending on your time frames based on um, secular history, was about a year and a half from when it started. So chapter 13 and chapter 14 was about a year and a half that took place that Paul and Barnabas were on this mission and they accomplished an awful lot in a year and a half. And uh, a lot of good that came from it. You know, Paul almost killed. And, uh, but then at the, at the last of it, in verse 27, when they had come, they sailed back to Antioch, when they were come and had gathered the church together, so back home, they came to Antioch, pulled the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of the faith to the Gentiles. So the congregation at home said, look, this is what we've done. This is where we've been. It's important for you to know because this is important for you to understand what your mission may be as far as spreading the gospel. And it says, there they abode a long time with the disciples that were Antioch. You know, it's always good to come home. Um, we feel very much at home. We visit other congregations from time to time, and those who've been on vacations or take time off and, and come back here, there's something like being at your home congregation. And that's why I look at Paul and Barnabas after a year and a half and all that they had been through, kind of coming back home to where they had started, talking to the brethren, greeting the brethren and sisters that were there, and saying, look, this is what happened. Let me tell you about it. And uh, how God is so good and opened up these doors for us to be able to survive this trip first of all but also follow through with the mission that we were given I think it's important for us to wrap up this evening that we ask ourselves write your book write your story what is your mission you know it's easy for us to look at and say okay the missionary journeys of the apostles they were inspired they were chosen we're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. It gives us information to that. We were Gentiles, but that door was open to us. And if you don't have a book, and uh, I'm not saying you have to keep a journal. I'm not saying you have to keep record, and we don't want to keep glory for ourselves as far as that goes. But what is our mission? And your acts, if you were to write a book of the acts of you as a disciple, what would that book look like? Would it be one of trying to profess Christ to others and understand what he went through and died for us? Or would it be one that sometimes, oddly, in my, in my position, sometimes might be a little bit short and have a sad ending because I don't take advantage of those opportunities I have to spread the gospel? Mark 16, 15, go into, into all the world and preach the gospel to every Christian. 
to every creature. I think it's important for us to understand as Christians that is our calling. That should be our mission, and that mission can be every single day. The encouragement we have for one another, those that we see, those that we meet, to understand and to help them understand that they need Christ in their life. I hope the study has been beneficial to you this evening. We haven't talked about the first principles of being added to the kingdom, but if there was be one here this evening who has been sufficiently taught, and then we talked about the encouragement that we have one for another. We have a great avenue th- of prayer through Christ Jesus to encourage one another, and it doesn't always have to be collectively in a congregation situation, but I know we have elders here that would pray for you if you have a special need or need to be uh, revitalized, just some encouragement. If there's a need here this evening, we'd ask you to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.